Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Uh, Welcome to It Could Happen on the Internet, the only podcast. I'm Robert Evans. Um, And today we've got St. Andrew back in the studio. Uh, We don't actually have a studio. That was a lie. That was a lie that I told. (laughs) You'd think I was cooler. St. Andrew, how are you doing today? I am good. I'm good. Andrew dropped the saint. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. You're right. We should probably. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm less good because I'm no longer a saint. (laughs) You got got (laughs) defainted. So, okay. If I understand Catholicism right, that means you undid someone else's three miracles. I know nothing about Catholicism. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. (laughs) Pretty sure you have. This is a, this is a Protestant, to, Protestant background here. My knowledge of Catholicism is that to be a saint, you have to do a couple of miracles, but the last one is always something to do with being dead. Like they just decide that whatever you do when you're a corpse is like, oh, it's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Catholicism. Andrew, what are we talking about today? Um, today, we're going to be talking about something that um, I would say more traditional Catholics may have some disagreements with. Oh no! Um, Christians may have some disagreements <laughs> with, and that is—I mean—that is our entire audience. Is the Vatican. <laughs> this this podcast is completely listened to by the Pope's 
Swiss guards. 100% Vatican City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we have deep penetration in the Vatican. <laughs> That's an interesting choice of words considering mm-hmm. the end of Pride Month, but you know, hey, well, I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, what are we talking about? We'll be talking about human evolution. Ooh. And particularly my favorite kind as of it evolution. pertains to um, human cooperation. Okay. Like the origins of human cooperation. Fuck yeah, I love this shit. I think that, you know, people tend to emphasize human competition a lot um, because capitalism wants us to believe that we are these competitive, you know, dog-eat-dog. I don't know where that term came from, by the way. I've always been curious about that. Um, As far as I know, dogs don't eat each other. Um, But it's an interesting phrase. And I think it's kind of apt here. Um, (laughs) There's this this idea that, that, that we just competing all the time that we're fighting is just survival of the fittest and that only the strong survive. You know, when people talk, you know, casually about prehistoric times, it's this very, it, it, it represents the stories that we've been told about it. And it, as a result, it tends to be very, you know, competitive, highly patriarchal, highly violent, just constant interpersonal violence. I mean, that was a justification used to you know reinforce the state right it was like or oh, the state of nature it's everybody against themselves and so as a result you know a state had to be introduced we trade some of our freedoms for the safety that the state is supposed to provide but as far back as Proudhon and really even further because yeah let's be real it's a very <laughs> European concept yeah it's not something that can be produced towards all human societies and all human philosophies. Um, but Proudhon was one of the first white guys, I guess, um, in his time period and in his field to really challenge that notion with, you know, mutual aid, a fact of evolution. Of course, the studies and stuff that he would have done, um, the knowledge that he would have shared would have been, you know, known and studied by people before him. But he was one of the first to really bring all that knowledge together into one place. Um, Years later, um, an American anthropologist and primatologist was born. I mean, she wasn't born that, but she became that later in life. Uh, in 1946, that would be Sarah Blaffer-Hurdy. And so she made many major contributions to evolutionary psychology and sociobiology, especially pioneering our modern understanding of the evolutionary basis of female behavior in both non-human and human primates. In 2002, she was recognized as one of the 50 most important women in science. And in 2014, Mothers and Others, together with her earlier work, earned Hurdy the National Academy's Award for Scientific Reviewing in honor of her insightful and visionary synthesis of a broad range of data and concepts from across the social and biological sciences to illuminate the importance of biosocial processes among mothers, infants, and other social actors informing the evolutionary crucible of human societies. In essence, she got an award because she recognized the fact that the relationship between mother and child and, you know, how humans raise their children um, is vital in our evolution and in, in our becoming human. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't know any of that. Yeah, I mean, humans, they... We, we do recognize, now I'm starting to recognize more and more, primatologists at least, uh-huh. that um, humans 
that other great apes rather they do care they, they share and they empathize a lot more than we may have originally thought but humans still win at you know the caring competition i think we because of even something like our facial anatomy um, and how we structure societies is probably one of the more pro-social of, you know, the other great apes. Yeah, it's interesting. Whenever I, because obviously I've read stuff about like empathy in apes, but it's always in the context of um, the ones that we taught sign language to. The one I'm remembering particularly is, and I, I'm, I'm spacing on the name that the scientist gave her, but one of the apes. Coco? Yeah, Coco, when she, her reaction to like 9-11. Um, cause it was apparently like on the TV or some shit when it happened, but like, I, 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 I never hear emphasized to the same degree, um, or, you know, maybe I just have not sought it out, but it's certainly kind of less, uh, less discussed as like evidence of empathy within, um, within like the societies that they built, I guess, like would be the term for them, the little, their communities, I don't know, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting as well, I mean, Coco was a gorilla. Um, yeah. And regarding her sign language is actually an interesting video essay talking about how you know about sign language than we assume. But Coco was a gorilla and humans are more closely related to two groups, those being um, bonobos and chimpanzees. And we tend to look at chimpanzees, which tend to be more, you know, violent. And you, people use them as an example of, oh, this is how humans naturally are. Despite the fact that, you know, we have millions of years of evolution diverging from chimpanzees. You know, our last common ancestor was like six to seven million years ago. Yeah, that, that's a bit distant. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like I got family members talking five or six years and I consider us pretty, like, pretty far apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and then on top of that, <laughs> like, there was enough time for some serious divergences to start happening, you yeah. know? Like, the fact that humans, you know, walk upright and, and chimpanzees, they still have, you know, that, that four-legged gait. It's actually something that I learned recently evolved on two separate occasions, that being that particular kind of knuckle walk. Um, yeah, I just found that kind of fascinating. It's kind of besides the point. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we, we tend to look at chimpanzees as our closest example, but bonobos, which are a lot more social, I would say a lot more cooperative and less violent than chimpanzees, actually share a lot of you know similarities in terms of you know our behavior and they're also one of the few animal species that have been you know recognized as having sex for pleasure and not just procreation so good for them when we talk about evolution a lot of it has been shaped by darwin even though science is not about figures and big figures and their big ideas it's about the ideas themselves um, but still, seeing as Darwin was the one who really introduced, you know, the idea of, of, of competition, the idea of, of all that in evolution, those sorts of notions, which came really out of his time in an industrializing competitive world, um, it really overstates the role of competition as a driving force in evolution. When in reality, cooperation was, you know, far more potent force. When it comes to like pro-social human tendencies, 
um, you know, doing things to benefit others. That's what pro-social is. Dr. Hardy really comes down on the cooperation side of things in her book, Mothers and Others, where she brings together all this evidence that we are basically descendants of a Pleistocene species of cooperative breeders. Cooperative breeding is a practice among some animal species. Um, other mammals do it, but I think we are one of the few, we were, we're, the, we're the only great apes who do it. And there are other primates that do it, other monkeys that do it, but none closely related to us. Cooperative breeding is basically the practice or the reproductive strategy um, where alloparental care is provided to the offspring of, you know, the children of certain parents in the group. Alloparental care is basically the practice of, um, it's basically non-direct parent care, um, care provided by individuals other than the parents. And so by having that network in place, by having process of our parenting in place is how we were able to be so successful as a species in our distribution, in our, um, you know, establishing ourselves in all these different environments because humans spread fairly rapidly around the globe and we've established ourselves and created cultures in all sorts of unique environments. And honestly, we are the most successful uh, out of the primates in that regard. So kudos to us. Um, and that is because Ooh. of cooperative breeding. Did you just woo, Robert? Yeah, of course. <laughs> God. Yes, like <laughs> <laughs> we had to we had to ratio the rest of the primates, you know? Very, very based of us. <laughs> we literally ratioed them. <laughs> literally. <laughs> oh, we're ratioing everything on this goddamn planet. Except for chickens and except for, no, except for chickens and <laughs> corn. Corn has definitely ratioed us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Cows too, man. Oof. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Cows, chickens, and yeah. uh, there's, there's one other creature I mean, that I know for sure. Goats, for sure. We, we have a lot of them. Yeah, but I mean, there, there's so many different species of goats, and there's only one species of human. And they're also magical. Yeah. You know? I mean, what's the population of dogs? Oh, it's... I, actually, it's all. I, every time I look, it's less than you'd expect. Population what? Nine hundred million? Yes, I, I, yes that's ridiculous. That's a lot less than I'd have expected. I want more. Give me more dogs. Nine hundred, nine hundred million is like rookie numbers. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, I, I was gonna expect like at least a couple of billion, just based on. But no, just nine hundred. Yeah, every time I look it up, I, I, I recall being like, oh, there's not as many dogs as I thought there were. I guess they went cooperative breeders. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm sure not. And only 400 million cats. Those are rookie numbers, cats. Yeah, come on, cats. What? Come on, cats. It's actually probably. I mean, it's probably for of, the best. They do a lot of damage. <laughs> my dad always says. My dad always says that uh, we need more dogs in the world to fix the fucked up humans. Yeah, I mean, I feel Aww. like a lot to, of pressure to put on dogs. That's completely fair. Yeah, I feel like that's really our job to fix fucked up humans. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. It's well, I mean, a lot of dogs for that. <laughs> I mean, cats and dogs are pulling a lot of weight as it is, you know? Yeah, they I mean, are pulling. What are ferrets yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. What are, what are ferrets, fish doing? What are ferrets <laughs> like doing? Great question, Andrew. Fucking ferrets. Fucking ferrets. Yeah. Right. 
And like fucking goldfish, right? What are you guys? What do you, what are goldfish? What have they been doing lately, motherfuckers? Like Dying. get off your asses and stop us from killing people, goldfish. Stop the war in Ukraine, goldfish. Come on. I mean, to get to cut goldfish some slack, they're busy dying because people <laughs> would want to take care of them. Yeah, yeah. They're like all of the people yeah. treat them like house plants. I didn't think we would have Andrew being a goldfish Thank apologist you know. on this podcast, but here we oh, are. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think goldfish have come committed any like war crimes or anything not that i, <laughs> I know think i'm of. within my right to defend them this they haven't stopped any war crimes either so plus i mean this is my personal guilt talk and i've i've you know i've i've neglected my fair share of yeah <laughs> enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at betmgm signing up and playing is so easy simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know, speaking of cross-species cooperation, when I was younger and living in Texas, there was this one day where, like, we're out on the, in our, like, fucking backyard area, and we see, walking through the alley behind our houses, this massive turtle, probably three, 400 pounds, like, like easily like three or four feet, uh, in, in circumference on his shell, just like an enormous animal, just like strolling around the neighborhood, not a species that you, that you see in Texas wild. So we like 
kind of try to corral him. We can't lift him. He's massive, but we like corral him into the, uh, into our yard area and give him some cucumbers. And eventually his person comes around and the guy explains that like, yeah, when Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out, a lot of people bought a bunch of different kinds of turtles thinking they were good pets, but they didn't realize that there's a lot of the turtles that get sold, like never stop growing. Like if you keep them alive, they just keep getting bigger. And so I, he like, and they smell bad. Only if they're time. He had adopted this turtle and it lived in his yard. And he said like, yeah, he's really strong. Like I have a good fence, but every two or three years, he'll just walk through it. Like most of the time he chooses to stay in the yard, but every couple of years, he <laughs> I'm just going to go on a walk. And, he, and he's like, yeah, he just like breaks through the fence. It takes him about a second. Like if he wants to do it, that's no like, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Baki. Have you seen Baki? No. Is this, is this anime? Um, and no, this is not my my weeb coming out story. I have not read or, or viewed much um, in that regard. But I started Baki recently. <laughs> and in the first episode, they establish that all these people are coming to Tokyo, right? For like uh, some kind of fighting competition. Okay. And the way that they establish that those people are dangerous is that they, these are all like criminals on like death row. Yeah. And so like they're in the process of being put to death. Like one person is, you know, being injected or something, one person's being electrocuted, one person's being hung. And they all manage to break free after they die and like break out of prison easily. This one guy, he was imprisoned underwater. He breaks out of the underwater prison and swims several miles to, up to the surface and then swims all the way to Tokyo. Oh. And it's like, for some reason, that turtle breaking out of his, you know, enclosure whenever he chooses just reminded me of, like, they're trying to establish his power levels, you know? Yeah. No, he's he's too powerful uh, to be contained. Um, and he's probably still alive because they live forever. Um, which is, again, yeah. why they're bad pets. <laughs> yeah. Because what did you do about slavery? Yeah. 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 Tur- well, that he may not have been around for slavery, but... What do you do? What are you going to do the next time there's slavery, turtle? You know, are you going to stop it? I don't think so. You're a turtle. What do you mean next time? Is oh, there something you should be telling me, Robert? Yeah, just, what I'm, is happening? I've been paying attention to the Supreme Court. <laughs> it's not going to uh, go well in the future. That's sure. That's sure. Yeah. Robert. What? Um, Leave the turtles out of this. Well, if they stop the Supreme Court, I will stop shitting on the turtles. You're just doing that meme from 2020 where people were like, I gave up my plastic straws for the turtles. Where are they now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that-, <laughs> that was a thing. Yeah, it was bad. I don't remember that. It's like, come on. Just get a Well, go. I will say that, I mean, at least we're cooperative breeders. Mm-hmm. And I think our... Our tendency, our cooperative breeding tendency, probably has something to do with the fact that we adopt other species as pets and as members of our family. Because you don't really see other animals doing that. No. You know? Um, I think there's there some kind of like fish or crustacean or something that, that keeps another species like as livestock. Yeah, that, there's like, a couple of species that do versions of that for sure. Right, but I mean, we love our dogs and our cats, yeah, our ferrets and our snakes and our tarantulas and our ferrets. Our, question our, our mark. Birds. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, people are trying to like domesticate foxes so we could love them too. You know, it's oh, there are people. There are people who 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 keep 
big cats. There are people who keep like caimans. Yeah. There are people who keep all kinds. We just, you know, it's like we got to catch them all, you know? Like we, we just want to take all these creatures and we want to, to love them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that says about us. Other than the fact that our cooperative nature extends beyond the boundaries of, you know, us as a species. We inherited very high levels of, of mutual tolerance, of perspective taken, and other pro-social impulses from ancestors who used our parental care and provisioning of the young to survive. I mean, we didn't invent complex cooperation. Our pre-human ancestors did, but we elaborated upon it. Yeah, it's... um. It's always interesting to me to think about that. I think back up to when I, the first time I ever went to a war zone was Ukraine. And it was this, we were in this little town called Abdivka that was getting shelled by the Russians. And there was this big, the way they do the heating over there, they have these vents going underneath or these tubes going underneath all the houses to supply them with like gas and stuff. And there's this, this big, was this big central like kind of box thing in, the, in one, in, there's a few of them in the town and stuff that like is the, I don't know, I guess it's like the uh, uh, like nexus of a bunch of different like houses, uh, uh, whatever heating system. So it's warm. And the people there, like when the war started, a bunch of people fled and they left pets behind. You know, sometimes they didn't really have a choice because it's war. Um, so there were all these cats and dogs and soon all these breeding cats and dogs, so all these kittens and puppies. And people who lived there had like turned that little junction box for the heating system into this like massive kind of open air cat and dog sanctuary. So like there were all of these like dozens and dozens of puppies and kittens just like living together in this big heating box um, in the middle of this, like being taken care of by all these local ladies who would scrounge up food every morning and make sure that they were all taken care of. Um, And it was interesting because you could see all these like cats and dogs living together and all of these people coming together to take care of animals they didn't know. Um, at the same time, like all of the people were doing their level best to murder the folks like a mile and a half away and vice versa. Um, so we, we contain multitudes, human beings. Definitely. I mean, that, that's part of it too, right? Like the fact that we are so eager to like share in others emotional states, you know, to empathize and the way that we are so eager to involve ourselves and, and give and share with those who are unrelated to us. I mean, there are a lot of species that do not raise their young at all. Um, and there are those that do and try to kill other people's young. Uh, and there are those that do and just take care of their own young. But, you know, we, even in this like super individualistic capitalist world, we still find ways to like look out for each other. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Of course, you know, cooperative breeding doesn't mean that there's like constant, like Bonnie the dinosaur, like cooperation and yeah, we're all the time. A lot of things. There still can't be competition, you know, all those different things. Yeah. But behaviorally, anatomically, and emotionally, modern humans are cooperative breeders. And the crazy part is, those, you know, three um, traits, you know, behavior, anatomy, and, and emotion, those, those traits do not evolve simultaneously. So, for example, our physical features, like our eyes, and the fact that our eyes are, 
are able to, you know, we, we can see the whites in our eyes and we, that way we can put ourselves in other people's perspectives and that kind of thing. We could see the emotions more clearly. You know, the fact that we, uh, we, we're prone to sharing our smiles and the fact that, um, you know, our vocal cords have such range to be able to communicate so many different things. Um, all these are hallmarks of the fact that, you know, even before our super big brains developed, we were already getting these traits that would have helped us in cooperation. But I wonder a lot of the time, though, because, you know, a lot of these traits were developed before language. Um, it's like, what was the first word of humanity? You know, what was the first sentence? What was the first thing like we said? And how did other people react when the person said it? I could imagine that, you know, like agriculture, it's something that developed independently um, on multiple different occasions and different places. But I still wonder, like, what those first conversations might have been about. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of them probably would have been arguments with other people who didn't want us to do words. Um, <laughs> who were ultimately right, you know, uh, if, if only. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I, mean, it, it, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I, I think it probably, like, we, we just did a couple of episodes about um, the history of, of, of gynecology. Um, and one of the things that we talked about at the start was, like, the prehistory of medicine, which, which likely began in an organized way um, by, like, likely the first people practicing medicine in any way were, were pregnant women and women who had been pregnant trying to help each other survive pregnancy, right? Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if that, I mean, food gathering is obviously the other one, but I wouldn't be surprised if like language started as a way to try and like communicate and better survive making babies because it's it's like super dangerous and also entirely necessary. Um, and, and something that kind of particularly benefits from communication. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if that was like the first thing we talked about, so to speak. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. What I'm also thinking as well, and it, it just occurred to me, it is probably possible that, like, that the first language was not spoken language. I feel like it may have been like a form of sign language, you know, because, you know, we have these hands and people tend to talk with their hands. So, yeah. Oh, yes. I think my hypothesis is that, you know, we used our hands to communicate things before we started speaking. I mean, the fact that we were able to teach apes, uh, you know, other apes to use sign language, I think that's a good sign that we can learn to communicate with that first. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you know, probably how our communication with dogs started, because that's one of the things that makes them special is they're pretty much alone in animals in that they like in kind of instinctively grow up understanding that when we gesture at them, it means stuff. Like if you point dogs will look where you're pointing a lot of the time rather than at you, which is like a rare trait in animals. So I, yeah, I think you're probably right on the money there. Huh. I didn't yeah. even think about that. That's true. That's true. And of course that makes it fun because you could always fake them out and like throw something. And yeah. Yeah. They're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> dogs. No, I had a fucking dude. Yeah. Yeah. Anderson doesn't fall for that shit. So I love fucking with him. She does not fall for that. Um, shit. I can't uh, fake her. I can't fake her out. 
Physically. That's probably why she's the woman of the host. I mean, I'm, you're not wrong. Pretending to throw sh- stuff at a dog and then it, it it goes running and then it realizes that you faked it. Like, that's the best. Oh. I can't relate because if I try to do that, she looks at me like, good try. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Sophie, where you need to go is CorgiCon in San Francisco one of these years. Will they let Anderson in even though she's only she does she's yeah. only part Corgi? She's a there's, nothing, there's nothing but acceptance at Corgi Con. Did you hear that, Anderson? Acceptance and hundreds of corgis frolicking in the surf. It, it rules. She'll try to herd them all. Good yeah, luck. They, 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 are, they are all trying to herd all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> they are all very excited and don't know what to do with each other. It rules. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. So as the book um, progresses, Hardy spends some time talking about how we are similar to and different from other great apes. So we learn about how we use eye contact and smiles to bond even from a young age. Um, you know, we 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 tend to hear about it, but the fact that babies' cries are so attuned toward attention and capturing the attention of people, um, 
Yeah, these all did in like bastards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was a screamer apparently. You yeah, know, I used to rail rail ball, oh. ball and ball and ball. In fact, one story I was told was that the neighbor called and was like, "Is something happening to Andrew?" And my parents were like, "Nah, he's just crying." Yeah, yeah. There's like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but I mean, look at me now. Now I'm balling for justice. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> One interesting trait that, you know, humans have is our willingness to like share our babies with others. Other great apes, you know, those mothers, they tend to have like constant contact and care with their children. You know, like they don't let others touch their children at all. Probably because like other mothers tend to want to kill their kids or cause harm to their kids. Yeah. So they tend to be very protective of them. Whereas, you know, as allo parents, we are, you know, full-fledged, cooperative breeders, you know, we have not only shared our young with others, but our parents have also been, you know, been recorded breastfeeding the young of others, you know, and, and masticating and passing like hard to digest foods to infants. I'm mixing up my terms a bit in terms of, you know, what, what is a primate and what is an ape versus what is, you know, just whatever. But Marmosets and tamarins, which are calatricids or calatricids, calatricids, they are also cooperative breeders and they're very fast breeders as well. Rapid, rapid breeders. Um, so, you know, good for them. It's also typical of our species. We tend to be very fast breeders and that's why we reissued all the other great apes. What I find interesting as well is that we'd be able to breed so rapidly despite the fact that our, um, do y'all remember um, the word for like carrying a child? Oh, it is. I'm just blanking right no, now. It, oh, uh, uh, preggers? No, no, no. I think you're, you're thinking of the incubation period. Is that what you're trying to think of? Yeah, but that's such a, that, that feels like a very dehumanizing way of putting it. <sighs> yeah. I'll just say that carrying a baby, you know? Yeah. And the costs it incurs on, you know, a woman's body, on a human's body. Um, it is like a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Like and yet we're capable of having so many in one lifetime, despite the cost necessary to raise each. I mean, other animals, they have like mates and seasons and, you know, they have set amounts of children they could have in their lifetime. But no, mm-hmm. you know, we could just... I mean, there are stories of, of women who have had, like, dozens of kids, which is, you know, unfortunate circumstances because, you know, in those cases, it tends to be um, not necessarily willing. But the fact that we are capable of having many kids is lends toward the importance of having support systems in place because other animals don't tend to have more children they can care for. If that is, you know, they care for children. A lot of them just eat their kids if they can't care for them. Exactly. Get a cat do that once. It's a, it's a, you know, makes sense. Yeah. Whereas we kind of evolved to have support systems in place. And speaking of eating babies, kind of. Absolutely. There kind of is a dark side to that. Um, because even though 
we tend to have, you know, these children and stuff. And we tend to, so we're supposed to have these support networks to care for them. The practice of infanticide is actually something that has a long, long history um, in, in human practice, where if a mother determines that they're not able to raise their child, they don't have the um, support systems in place to care for that child, different practices would typically be used to, you know, deal with that child. And that's, of course, what makes the anti-abortion stances um, so inhumane, you know, because... Absolutely. Yeah. The whole reason we that abortion is so um, important is because it, it protects the, you know, the autonomy and the agency of, you know, people who can carry children. And yet in this world, it continues to atomize us and individualize us and separate us, um, you know, stripping so many people of their support networks or weakening our support networks is still expected to, uh, and punished heavily if you do not just pump out as many children as you can. And it's, it's sick. It's really mm-hmm. sick. Yeah, that's not great. When it comes to those support networks, most people are familiar with, you know, extended family. Like, for example, grandparents. Um, right. And in fact, an infant survival is significantly affected by a grandmother's presence, um, which is why humans tend to live long past their reproductively viable period, you know? Human females live after menopause for a pretty long time in comparison to other species. And of course, their grandmothers and their, of course, fathers, um, their sisters and godparents, and really a lot of other um, cultural systems in place, even polyandrous mating. Um, I think I mentioned that in a previous. In a previous um, episode, there were also forms of of like bilocal, flexible residence patterns where you know you always have kin around to take care of your infants, and I would say that it's 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 kind of tough because you know, a lot of people these days you know struggle with their extended families. Um, it's very much a cool, um, I love you, but I'm glad we live in separate kind of situation. Yeah. You know, like extended families definitely have a lot of pros and cons, um, which is why we actually find, I think, interesting, a lot of examples of chosen families um, throughout different societies. And also even there's some evidence that that might have been the case in the past as well, where unrelated people would form groups together um as one example i remember reading about and of course this can't necessarily be extended to prehistoric times but i've seen it in, in multiple different hunter-gatherer situations but um where you have this this clan system in place um and you can no matter how far you travel you can expect to receive care from members of your clan 
um, in North America. I think it was like the Bear Clan and the Elk Clan and all these different clans. Um, in Aboriginal Australia, um, they also had different groups as well. And so people were able to interact with each other across huge distances and settle in different places and connect with others to find kin, quote unquote kin, even though they were necessarily directly related. Yeah. There's a couple, I mean, there's a, there's a book called Sets at Dawn that I read many, many years ago. That's about kind of like the evolution of human sexuality and how some of it's been like how different cultures have looked at things like, like what makes someone a parent. Um, And there's all these different attitudes, like before we had kind of the scientific understanding of like where, you know, how, how babies are conceived um, that we have now, there were all these different attitudes, like this idea and I, I forget the name of the the people who, but they 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 still exist. Was somewhere in Latin America, and their 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 belief was essentially that when you got someone pregnant, that was the start of the process, and then after like conception, the person with the baby would go around and um, pick. Right. Yes. Yes. Men, yes. Like, I remember that. He wanted for the baby, and the idea was that like, well, yeah, when they fucked that person's like essence gets added to this forming child. And one of the things that that does socially is it means that it means that for that community, um, children weren't seen as having one father. They were seen as having a bunch of fathers, all of whom were like responsible for teaching the kid and raising it, which is like, oh, that's a very sensible way to, uh, to organize your little society is to have, is to, is to ensure that like the kids coming up have as many adults who are like responsible for them as possible, which is broadly speaking, the best thing you can do for kids is to have a bunch of adults be interested in their, their, their success. Exactly. Because I mean, like if you have like one of the best hunters yeah. in the village raising your child and you have the best craftsman in the village raising your child and you have the best fisher in the village raising your child, that child is going to have a very well-rounded education. Yeah. You know, it's going to be able to learn a lot of different skills that they're going to need. I mean, that's just one of the many positive effects of having multiple caregivers on the development of a child's worldview and sense of self, their concept of self and others, their concept of empathy, the concept of independence, how um, how they view the world as either dangerous or insecure or giving and welcoming. And so, I mean... We are so used to this nuclear family worldview, which is these independent um, households that we don't consider the fact that having a broad range of people raising them is actually crucial to their personal development as children, to their human development, really, having all those different perspectives and stuff in place. And I mean, that's part of of what... um, Purdy talks about, especially in her final chapter, that being how in modern times the accumulation of property, um, the emergence of patriarchy, um, even the stuff in the post-industrial era, how all of these would prompt a shift from cooperative breeding, from cooperation between groups to war between groups, especially with property. Because when you have property, you have a need to hold on to that property. And the whole idea of property is you and yours, the exclusion of all others. Right. You know? And so at the end of her book, she also speculates we might be losing our art of nature 
because we are continually evolving. Um, but she wonders what might the potential evolutionary effects be if we are rearing children who are not living in intimate contact with a variety of caregivers. Because especially within those first two years of life, infants reared in responsible caretaking relationships develop innate potentials for empathy, mind reading, and cooperation and collaboration. I mean, these behaviors are the outcome of complex interactions between both genes and nurture. So the question is, how can these innate potentials remain more than potentials? You know, I mean, because the development of them is, is far from guaranteed. A lot of children these days are raised without extensive social contact. Um, I mean, even in the era of COVID, where a lot of children are isolated at home, especially the heights of the pandemic, I really wonder if we will see like a marked, like distinct generation of like within a range of two years of children who just aren't as socialized because for the, the, those first two years of their life, they were kind of isolated. Well, those first few years of their life, they're kind of isolated because there's this lack of empathy, lack of cooperative skills and lack of attachment that may cause us to miss the mark. It's, it's really trauma, um, but trauma doesn't necessarily stop people from continuing that trauma, from reproducing and carrying that on. And so I, I really, I'm really curious as to see what the effects of that might be. And also what we can do to try to um, curb that negative impact. Last question she asks is really, will humans in the future still be empathetic and curious and about the emotions of others because of our ancient heritage of communal care? And I'm paraphrasing here. Or will these systems that we have in place evolve us in a more Machiavellian direction? Well, I guess that's uh, the mystery that we're all going to get to watch unfold in pieces, at least over the course of, you know, the rest of our lives and everyone else's lives. It is, I don't know, I, 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 I think the overall arc of it speaks more to the things that about us that are good and to increasing cooperation, because that is like the story of the last couple hundred thousand years of human evolution. Although at the same time, some of that, a lot of that cooperation has gone towards fucked up ends as well. Like, I mean, all of the good and the bad things happening right now are, are one way or the other examples of cooperation, right? Like it's, it's, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Let's hope things get better. I hope so too. Uh, and I think we can do more than hope. I think we can act. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to, I mean, like, that's the thing, right? Like part of how specifically in the United States, I mean, but internationally too, the right has gotten so much over the last really five or six years in particular is cooperation across borders and across like ideological differences. Like there's, there has been like tremendous sustained cooperation that has allowed them to amass power, um, the power that they're currently exercising. And the only thing that's going to actually counter that is the cooperation um, an organization of a much larger amount of people. Like there's not that many of those folks. It's why they've had to be so organized. 
there's a lot more of us, but we also can't stop fighting about shit. So it is, it is like we are going to have to evolve in real time to cooperate better with one another and more effectively in order to, in order to wrench the wheel back. That's true. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Let's not lose hope. Let's <laughs> not lose hope. Uh, and let's not lose your pluggables, Andrew. Yeah. Yes. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore Drew, and find me on YouTube at Andrewism. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, folks, that's going to be all for us here today at It Could Happen Here. Until next time, go happen somewhere else. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.